from that Bible if you want. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. We stand in the honor of God's Word because we are convinced uh, there is nothing more important that you'll hear today than God's Word. Starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God Almighty, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that you would speak to us in mighty ways, that you would penetrate our hearts, that we would see how blessed we are to have your church. And Lord, that we would increase and focus our affections on you and your business. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I hope that you were able to make your way to a Bible study group this morning, because if you were, as Caleb already told us, uh, you were studying this passage this morning in your Bible study groups and, uh, and discussing it. Uh, and, and know that that's intentional for us. You may go, Pastor, we already looked at this. Now, this is intentional, uh, that we, we want to take a focused uh, approach to the Word of God. Uh, and, and so we have intentionally uh, geared the majority of our Bible study groups to study, at least, if not the same exact passage, at least a very uh, complementary passage and topic to what's being preached in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. And this allows you to go even deeper in, in, in two learning styles. In one, where you hear lecture, which to be honest is a, a lesser of an ineffectiveness than it is for you to sit and have discussion with other believers and, and get into the Word of God with each other. Uh, I, I promise you that if you'll apply that correctly in your life, it, it will probably affect you far more than my sermons, as hard as that is for me to say out loud, because I'd love to think my sermons are the most impactful part of your life. Uh, but I really think that if you are a part of a Bible study group, it, it will probably take you even further uh, than I'm capable of doing so uh, here on Sunday mornings. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. Um, <clears throat> as we look at this, we, we looked at Love God last week, Love His Church. This morning, uh, I just finished reading two books that go together by Nick Ripkin uh, called Insanity of God, and then the follow-up is Insanity of Obedience. Uh, they're written by, the guy's name is not actually Nick Ripkin. He had to write a, in a pseudonym uh, because he... Uh, is mo- mostly working in highly persecuted areas all across the world. Uh, and he was serving as a missionary with the IMB uh, in, in some persecuted areas back in the early 80s and, and, and on. And, and, uh, and then they used him to go and interview persecuted Christians all over the world. Uh, in, in from the former USSR to China to Muslim countries uh, to all over the place. And, and, and these books are kind of that journey of him going into missions and then him interviewing all these persecuted Christians. And he was speaking to some persecuted Christians uh, uh, and, in China. 
And the Chinese uh, asked him, are there believers outside of China? They weren't even aware that they, there might be those who believe outside of China because they were so isolated in their underground church. And, and he was able to share with them, that, man, there are believers in almost every country in the world to which they rejoiced. Uh, and he talked to him about that. And then he talked to him about, they asked him about what the church in America is like. And he told them, the church in America, uh, there's so many great things about the church in America, although it may have its challenges. And some of the great things about the church in America is that we have in every town, in every village, in every city, multiple gatherings of God's people that get to gather in a public building in public worship with no fear of any persecution from the government. There's even a national holiday to celebrate uh, Jesus' birth. And I mean, they were blown away by that reality. And, and they even wept and, and asked him, one of them asked him, why do you think God loves your country more than ours to, to bless them with all these miracles? And he said, oh, you got to be kidding me. Look at the miracles going on in China. How many believers you see coming to faith on a constant basis, far more so than we are. And they said, yes, but you must not miss the miracles of the freedom that you have. And in a conversation, one told him, don't ever give up in freedom what we would never have given up in persecution. Sometimes our, our freedom and our comforts and our conveniences uh, lead us down a path of thinking in church in a way that honestly is not biblical. When we start grading churches like we're doing a Yelp review based off of the customer service or the quality of the, the music or the preaching, uh, I think we miss what this is about. See, God has called us to love his church without qualification. But, but see, his church is characterized by people who are centered on the word of God and on glorifying God with their lives. And so I'll tell you, if you don't want this to be your church, that's fine. That's between you and the Lord to pray that. But when you're trying to figure out where you're plugging in, this ought to be the center of your investigation of any church. Does it hold this high? Does it have a high view of God's word? Does it have a high view of God? Not, does it meet all of my preferences and all of my desires? But is it about the business of the Father? <clears throat> Our main idea for this morning is the redeemed are called to love His church with passion and patience. I'm going to tell you, God established his church with a purpose. Um, last week, we were in Colossians chapter 1, and in the, kind of the middle of that passage, it said this phrase about Paul. He said, of, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I want to carry that idea a little further before we get to our Hebrews passage, where Paul goes a little further in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, and he says, of this gospel, this good news of Jesus coming down to earth, dying for our sins, raising from the dead so that we could have life with him. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches 
of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. We talked about that last week. That mystery is that we get the God of the universe as children of God living inside us, that we get to stand holy before a righteous God because of the price that he paid for us with his blood on the cross. That that is a mystery that a righteous God would do that for us that we could have constant communion with the creator of the world so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I want to read that again, church. Listen, this is when we talk about the church. This is what we're talking about. Not a country club, not a social club, not just a gathering place. This is the church. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized In Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Anytime you feel weak in your faith, weak in your ability to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others, read Ephesians chapter 3 and see what the purpose of the church is, the eternal purpose, but not only the eternal purpose of it, but that it's realized in Christ In verse 12, in whom we, you, in whom I, in whom you have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is the purpose of the church. This is it. One of my mentors, Dr. Joe McKeever from New Orleans, he writes a ministry leadership blog. He's preached here a couple times before. Uh, great guy, older gentleman, has been a pastor for a long time. Um, he told me when I came here, I, I went to him for counsel. I've been very blessed to have a relationship with him. And I was reading the other day a, a list of like the top, what was the top 10 ministry blogs? Huh? Top 35 ministry blogs uh, in, the, in the country. And he was on that list. And he's a personal friend. And I was like, that's amazing. He said to me, When I came here, it is not your job to make people happy. It is your job to point them to God to make them holy. This is the purpose of the church. Um, N.T. Wright says the church exists primarily for two closely correlated purposes. To worship God and to work for his kingdom in the world. But then N.T. Wright goes on to say the church also exists for a third purpose which serves the other two. So it has two primary purposes of worshiping God and to work for his kingdom in the world, but a third purpose which serves those two, and that's to encourage one another, to build one another up in faith, to pray with and for one another, to learn from one another, and teach one another, and set one another examples to follow, challenges to take it up, and urgent tasks to perform. This is all part of what is known loosely as fellowship. That's what fellowship is. Fellowship, when we see that, this idea in the Bible, uh, is far more than uh, eating some, some fried chicken together, although that is a glorious thing. 
It's far more than that. It, it is building each other up towards maturity in Christ. We see that in Ephesians 4, the next chapter of Ephesians. We see it in Romans 12 that we studied on Wednesday nights. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12. We see it all over the Bible that our purpose of fellowship is to build each other up towards maturity in Christ. So God has a purpose for his church. But realize it's his church. God purchased his church with his blood. So now we get to our Hebrews passage for this morning. I want to stop and give a little commercial for Wednesday nights. Starting this Wednesday night, I would, I would love it if you would either be serving in children's preschool or youth ministry or in here with me. Uh, and we're going to be walking through, starting this Wednesday night, in detail, uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. I have no idea how long it's going to take me. I'm not putting a schedule on myself on it. We're going to walk exegetically, which means uh, far more in depth than I even do here on Sunday mornings. But we're going to take a phrase, and we're going to study it, and we're going to go to the next phrase, and we're going to study it, and we're just going to do that. We'll take little breaks for some other things on Wednesday nights, but that's going to be my primary goal on Wednesday nights here at 630 after dinner, is to have some time of prayer together and then walk through Hebrews. Um, Hebrews ten nineteen through 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, just like what Ephesians just, just taught us, that we have this confidence through faith in Christ. But, th- but Hebrews is even saying... We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And we've talked about this a lot here, that this is talking about being able to enter the holy of holies, that, uh, that before uh, you, you had only the high priest got to enter the holy of holies. And even then it was a kind of a scary situation where they would tie a rope around his ankle so that if he died, no one else had to go in there. And, and now we're saying that with confidence we have access to the Holy Spirit by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, and that is through his flesh. Uh, that word new in the original language means freshly slain. Talking about the slain lamb of God. That freshly slain yet living lamb. Just think about that. The one who died for us yet conquered death. Freshly slain and living Lamb that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So here in verses 19 through 21 in our passage this morning, it's establishing a theological foundation. And we've talked about this a lot, that the Bible has this pattern, and I think it has this pattern on purpose, because I think everything the Bible does is on purpose. But there's this pattern of before we get to things we're supposed to do, before we get to behavior, we, get to, we, we start with theology, because we do what we believe. Everybody say, we do what we believe. You need to believe that that's true, because it's true. You do what you believe. You say you have faith in things. You say you believe things. But you do what you truly believe, which is why the Bible starts with theology and then goes to practice. Uh, back in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery, that idea again, the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
the whole reason the church exists, the whole reason we can gather here, is because Jesus purchased us with his blood. That there's none of us that get to stand before God and hope that our good works weigh out. That your church attendance, your good deeds, have zero value when presented to God as an opportunity to gain favor. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament says it's incredibly offensive to him when we do that. When we take our good works and we try to offer them to God to say, here, this is why you should love me. It's offensive to God when we do that. It's through his blood that he has bought us the right to enter into this access, this relationship with him R.C. Sproul says, the Christian church is one of the few organizations in the world that requires a public acknowledgement of sin as a condition for membership. Most organizations in the world, you, you want to prove why you're worthy of being a part of that organization. This is the only organization that says, you've got to tell us how worthless you are before you can really become a part of this thing. You've got to realize how little you have to offer, how much debt you owe God before you can even be saved. We can't be saved until we realize how much we need to be saved. And then God lovingly, graciously purchases us and we go from being his enemies to his children. And this is how we get to be the church. God loves his church. God loves his church, and he loves it with passion, and praise the Lord, he loves it with patience. Hebrews 10, 22 and 23, let us draw near. I think of James, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, talking about Old Testament sprinkling rituals, which Hebrews 9 shows us that cannot clean the heart, but only the blood of Jesus can clean the heart, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Just to talk about that sprinkling clean of the heart for a second, uh, I got an opportunity to go on a mission trip to a Muslim country and uh, encounter some guys and go, to a guy, go with a guy to a mosque. And one of the things that fascinated me is he showed us, while we were at the mosque, he showed us his, his cleansing rituals. And, and the Muslim cleansing rituals, if you've never seen these, where as a part of their rituals to, to make themselves uh, clean, to be able to enter into the mosque. There's an area before they get into the holy part of the mosque where they, they wash their, their hands, they wash behind their ears, their nose, their mouth, all these things, and, the, and they do all this. And so in a conversation with him later about the gospel, I asked him, I said, but how then do we wash the heart? And he didn't have an answer. How then do we wash the heart? See, nothing can wash the heart except for the blood of Jesus. So our passage for today gives us three exhortations. And the first two are in verses 22 and 23. The first is to draw near to God. We know that God loves his church because the church is part of the way that we get to draw near to him. That he wants us to draw near to him tells us that he loves us. But it's part of why we come here. 
We don't come here to feel good. We don't come here to get that charge. We don't come here for those things. I hope those things happen. But more importantly, I hope that you encounter God while you're here. And I hope that this isn't the only time that you draw near to God. I hope that this is just part of your process of drawing near to God. That daily, on your own, regularly on your own, you're drawing near to God in His Word, in prayer, and in other spiritual disciplines. But also to help us hold fast the confession of our hope. Hold fast that confession. In other words, in the darkest times, hold fast to Jesus. In the best of times, hold fast to Jesus and the hope that he gives us. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, we often use to talk about marriage. And although it does allude to marriage, Paul even tells us at the end of that passage that it's really not about marriage, but it's about his church. And it tells us that husbands, we are called to love your wives as Christ loved the church. We know right here that God loves his church. As a matter of fact, we know that his love for his church is to be evidenced in how husbands love their wives, which I know I fall short of all the time. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. He's talking about you, that he might sanctify you, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Have you ever encountered a church that is holy and without blemish? I haven't. I haven't been to one. If I found it, I'd quit here and go there. But it's not out there. See, We get washed with the word of God and and become more and more, conformed more and more into the image of God is what the Bible says. It's our process of sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus. But we don't enter that fully until we enter into glory. But we see here how much God loves his church, passionately loves his church, but also gratefully he patiently loves his church. And God will build his church through his people, his bride, you and me, loving the church with passion and patience. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider, this is our third exhortation. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Something fascinating in the original language here, that word stir, in your version it may say spur or something else. Um, I, I was blown away. It's not a verb in the original language. It's a noun. And it's a noun describing something that's irritating. It, it's used almost always in a neg- negative way, like something abrasive against you, like sandpaper or a thorn in your, in your heel or and so what's, what I found fascinating about that is that we are to stir, reminding you of that definition of that word, stir up one another to love, and it's the agape love, the selfless, unconditional love. So we're to almost irritate and be abrasive against each other in such a way that it stirs us to selfless love, that church was never meant to be comfortable that this was never part of the design for God to just make this place just incredibly comfortable for you because growth is always uncomfortable. 
Always. And so part of the design of God loving his church and us loving the church is as we see in 1 Thessalonians that we should admonish the idol, as we see in Proverbs that we should be like iron sharpening iron and bring each other, that we should bring each other towards a selfless love and good works, that, that my relationship with you, not as your pastor, but as another member of this body and your relationship with the people sitting next to you as a member of this body ought to be one that pushes others towards holiness, that pushes others towards a greater love for each other and for God and for doing works that honor and glorify God, that that ought to be the result of our relationship together and that sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes it's going to be frustrating. And I promise you, sometimes it's going to hurt. Pastor, I don't want to trust people because I get hurt. I understand that. And I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm saying it will happen. I'm saying if you truly live this out, if you truly live this out, it will hurt. It will be frustrating. It will be uncomfortable. But it will be a process of sanctification that brings you to a greater love and greater holiness and greater works. This is who God has called us to be. This is who God has called the church to be, to be a church that loves each other enough to spur one another on to holiness. And part of that is we can't neglect meeting together. Now, this, is, this is a first century church problem. Uh, this is not a new thing in our culture to have a hard time going to church. Now, Where this gets difficult is when we make attendance the important thing rather than participation. So what this is saying is not, hey, make sure that you have a good attendance record at church. Make sure you have a good participation record at church. That you are living this kind of life with one another. And the best way that we set up to do that is not this gathering. But it is small groups. And it is relationships you can build through that that helped bring people into your lives in a deeper capacity. Now, the Bible does say we should gather here. So we shouldn't neglect this either. But this can't be the end of it for you. That we are called to be in each other's lives in a capacity that can get uncomfortable for the purpose of spurring us on to holiness. So don't neglect that. Those three exhortations in our passage today draw near to God, hold fast the confession of our hope in regular gatherings that encourage each other, that have concern for each other, and that stir each other. There's something powerful about his church. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, Jesus says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build, I will build, I, Jesus, will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. John 1 says, the light will not, cannot be overcome by darkness. We just finished on Wednesday night studying Romans 12. And there was a part of it that fascinated me as we look at this loving the church. Romans 12, 9 through 13. This will be our last passage for the morning. Let love be genuine. 
Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, where it says in verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Uh, There's two kinds of love there. Uh, You may have heard, and I'm doing way more Greek this morning than I I normally do, and I apologize for that, but you you may have heard of like the three loves that you see in the Bible, right? You see phileo, which is brotherly love. You see agape, which is the selfless love, like we talked about in Hebrews 10, and you see eros love, which is between a husband and a wife. There is a fourth one, and it's only listed once in the entire Bible, and it's right here in verse 10 and it's that's love one another and it's a it's not a it's not as pretty sounding as philadelphia or agape or phileo or any of those it's what's it's it's philostorge or something like that and and so it's not as pretty sounding but it but it means something significant that that fourth love that we see here only in romans 12 in the bible it's talking about a love that can only happen when you've battled with somebody There's a bond that comes from fighting through something significant with someone. This is the kind of love, church, we should have for each other. This is what Paul is telling us to have. This is what Hebrews is telling us to have. But we can't do that. Listen, you cannot have this kind of love if you don't battle with people. Not against them, with them. If we don't recognize our purpose, the manifold wisdom of God revealed to the world, making disciples, making much of Jesus, honoring God, glorifying God, if we don't fight for that together in unity, we will not experience this love as a church. This is the love we should have for His church an unbreakable bond that comes from fighting together for the glory of God, for making much of Jesus, for sometimes irritating each other towards holiness, encouraging each other, building each other up, carrying each other's burdens. Look at all the one another's in Scripture. That's your homework this week. I don't know if you did a homework last week. I'm just going to ignore when you don't do it and keep giving you homework. Look at some of the one another's in Scripture. Look at what, how we are to be with one another. This is who we are to be, church. This is our purpose. God loves His church. And He wants you to love it too. God purchased His church with the blood of Jesus and He wants you to be purchased and tell others about Him. God's plan for redemption is primarily through the local church. I'm convinced of that through Scripture, that it is through the local church that it is meant for God, that is the purpose of the church, the eternal purpose of this church, of His people. And when I say church, listen, I, I don't mean a building. This thing could be knocked down, and we are not, have not ceased to exist as a church. This, this is not what church looks like all across the world. His church is His people. This is who we are to be as His church. Last week I gave you a challenge. 
Last week we talked about how it's sad that very, very few people um, share their faith. Even fewer have ever shared their faith to the point of seeing someone come to saving faith through Jesus. The large majority of people who profess Christ don't share their faith. And so I wanted to give you an achievable goal this year. And so I've asked you to pray for God to give you one person for 2017 on your heart. Just one. If you have more, praise be to God. But no excuses. No one can make an excuse here. One person that doesn't know the Lord. And I said, if you don't know people that don't know the Lord, then that's another step we've got to take. We've got to get ourselves into the lives of some people that don't know the Lord. And I want you to have one person family member, neighbor, co-worker, whatever. Just somebody that doesn't know the Lord, that needs to be purchased and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I want you to pray for him every day. And then I want you to, with boldness and confidence, share the gospel with him. And if you don't know how to do that, I would love for my schedule to all of a sudden become so busy teaching people how to share the gospel that I don't have time to do anything else. Please set an appointment with me and let me teach you how to share the gospel. If we in this room were to do, if half of us in this room were to take that serious, it'd be a record-breaking year here in baptisms. It really would. Paul Tripp says, the church is not a theological classroom. It is a conversion, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center where flawed people place their faith in Christ, gather to know and love Him better, and learn to love others as He designed. Let's be the church. Let's be the church that God has called us to be. Let's love his church. Let's love God deeply. And let's tell others about him. And let's redeem the church, redeem the community with the gospel by making disciples. Let's go make disciples. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have an opportunity to respond. Now, in this time to respond... If God has burdened your heart with someone to pray for, a lost person to pray for, find some way to be held accountable for that purpose and person and tell someone that you know and trust, here's my person. You don't have to give them all the details, just first name, last name, or just say, I've got a coworker." if you don't want to share their name. I would encourage you to come down and just pray right here at the stairs to add, to add more accountability. Nothing magical about this right here, but there's something powerful about letting others see that you're committed to this. If you've heard all of this and maybe you recognize that you haven't been purchased, you haven't been redeemed, there's nothing more in this world I'd love to do than to talk to you about that. Come down, talk to me, grab another leader up here, 
pray. If, if there's any other reason you need prayer, this is a time for us to practice the one another's with each other. This is not just the, you know, the transition to lunch. This is when we get to let the Lord rest on our heart what he's taught us. Not what I've taught you, what the Lord has taught you through his word. And start processing how to apply it in obedience. Don't leave here without having a saving faith relationship with Jesus, without having that access to the Holy Spirit. Grab me after church, set an appointment with me, something, so that you could have the hope that Verona had. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for loving me. It blows me away sometimes that you would love me, much less use me. Lord, I want to love your church better. I want to love you more. I want to let go of idols that I cling to and anxieties and insecurities. And I want to pursue first your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, I want to see this world changed, this church changed, this community changed through the gospel through disciple-making. Lord, I pray you start a movement in, in our hearts right now to make much of you with our lives. Lord, that if there are those in here this morning that don't know you, that they would, they would become reconciled with you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.